Welcome to Balintier Stories. In this podcast, we speak with entrepreneurs and creatives living and succeeding in Bali. I'm your host, Shayla Mann. Hi, we're here today uh, with our guest, Amberly Valentine, who is an international fashion photographer who resides some, some part of, of her yearly life here in Bali. Uh, so, Amberly, I'd love if you could tell us a little bit about you, um, because you, you have quite an interesting life on, on a daily basis, but I don't know a little bit about your history, so if you could tell us, um, where did you grow up to begin with? Um, I moved around quite a bit, but I grew up in England, um, so, I mean, my, most of my memories come from um, the Wirral, so, which is a part of Cheshire in the northwest of England. Um, and I was at school there and, you know, sort of had horses and it was a very sort of suburban meat country life. Um, and then my parents actually moved to Wales, um, and up into the mountains. So we lived on a snow capped mountain, which was just all pine forest. It looked like something from Lord of the Rings. Um, yeah, so they were kind of like the two places I remember like most clearly from, from growing up. Where, um, until what age were you in Wales? Um, well, they're still there right now. So I was there until 18, I think. Yeah, until I was 18. And then I went off and I did, um, I did some work in America and went to Hawaii and um, yeah, I was in New York for a little bit. And then I did uh, university. So I went to university in a place called Preston to do my BA in photography and then London College of Fashion. So I was based out of London. So what made you decide to leave this kind of small country life in Wales and, and explore the wide world? It was never for me. When my parents said they were moving there, I did not take it well. <laughs> um, it, it's never been something that, that I enjoy. You know, they, they love the outdoor lifestyle and cycling and running and mountains and countryside. And I was always... I would say a city girl, but really I just didn't love England. It was, I didn't love the weather and, you know, I always loved Asian food, Asian culture, travel. I was fascinated with that. So um, as soon as I could, um, it wasn't like a conscious decision. It was just a natural migration away from the UK as soon as I was able to. So um, as, when I graduated, I was living in London and I started working um, a lot in Ibiza um, so I was in Ibiza for a little bit and then, um, yeah, then I ended up moving to Bali. <laughs> How, when, when, when point were you into photography? How made you, what made you decide to pursue that career? Um, you know, I wasn't someone who carried a camera around, uh, with me and took photos all the time at all. Um, I was always creative. I loved anything creative. Um, and, uh, I went to art school, um, after I was, I was supposed to go to med school got into med school and was studying neuroscience um, and just, it, I, it wasn't that I didn't enjoy it. It was just kind of this, oh, I'm not ever going to be creative again. I'm not going to have the time and it's just not a feature of that life. So, so I took a break from that and went to art school um, and I hadn't really got any experience, like formal training in arts. I hadn't done it at A-level at school or anything. Um, so I did a general broad spectrum foundation degree where you study everything. Um, and I loved everything, but photography 
was kind of the quickest way to get what I wanted onto a piece of paper. Um, and I wasn't good enough at painting. <laughs> so, so photography just kind of made the most sense, um, really. So that's actually how I ended up in it. But for a long time, um, I was very much sort of based in, in set design and costume design and fashion design as well. So I would kind of make everything for the photographs. Um, it really wasn't just about photography. It was more about creating a world. Um, yeah, and that's what I enjoyed. So. And that, that keeps on going in, in your, as a photographer now, you're such a creator, you know, you know, I think there's two kinds of photographers. There's ones that just take the picture and the other ones that create a full story and the whole set. And you're one of those ones, which I think is pretty incredible. Oh, I, lo I love that. That's as important to me as the end result in a way, sometimes more so. Sometimes I can get so caught up in the story that I really don't care what the photograph looks like. It's, it's about that sort of moment and creating and building everything. Um, yeah, so that's very much what drives me for sure. Do you think that's one of the reasons of yours that sets you apart from other photographers? Um, potentially, uh, I think just that sort of interest in every aspect of creating something means that you inherently sort of work very hard um, and become very involved and nothing is ever sort of thrown together or you don't, you know, I find a lot of photographers don't sort of care too much. They just go, okay, throw, throw that piece of clothing in it. And it doesn't really tell a story. And I think when someone's so heavily involved with all of the different departments and aspects, because they genuinely love it, um, I think it does sort of create a more, I don't know, in-depth, sort of engaging photograph. Yeah, and also I guess it's, you love it. So it's, it's, it's a satisfaction for you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm never happy with, with the end photograph. It's why we keep going. Um, but I really enjoy that whole process. I enjoy working with other people in that field. I enjoy, you know, whether I'm sort of building a set or building a prop or, or whatever. I love it. How long have you been doing this for now? Uh, um, what am I? So at least probably 15 years. Yeah. But I would say kind of at, at the sort of not level that I am now, but the way I do things now, probably about seven or eight. Wow. Yeah. Cool. My work changed quite a bit. Um, early days I was doing couture and I was shooting on large format film and my work was very, very different. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's always been a constantly evolution really. Which which place from because you have traveled extensively across the world in like the most incredible places. Um, so I look at your photos and I'm like, ah, oh, I want to go there <laughs> like all the time. I'm like, I want to go there and I want to go there. And I go there. <laughs> um, which place do you keep coming back and just still like love it as the first time you've been? Oh, Africa, definitely Africa, um, and particularly Kenya. That's like, it's not a place I ever before going thought I would love that much. It's just like, okay, Africa, whatever, you know, I'm sure it'll be nice. We get to go to lots of amazing places, but it's just, I go back time and time and time again. I love it. Um, and Kenya most particularly, um, and some of the islands off the coast. Yeah, they're just I don't even know how to explain it really. It's the people, the feeling, the culture, the architecture, particularly the architecture there. Um, it's just, it's where I create my best work without even thinking. It just feels right there. Um, and in South Africa as well, I work with the, the wild animals, the cheetahs and the lions and, and the sort of relationship that we've built with them um, is just something that makes me so happy. 
Um, yeah, so 100% Africa. <laughs> How did you end up? I've seen some of your shoots on, with the cheetah that lives in our um, reserve place and how, how did you end up you know working in with wild animals really um i was the thing i was always inspired by these beautiful old photographs um of africa particularly you know the english families that moved out there in the 20s and um this built this sort of safari camps and peter beard's work and things like that and they always had this amazing connection with these these animals in africa you know they obviously you know, had the lion cubs with them and I've got friends actually who have childhood photographs growing up there riding zebras when they were like three years old and they're just amazing. Um, and I was just so inspired by those. Um, so we, we spent quite a bit of time looking into the options of how to work with animals, but we um, didn't want to work with any animals that weren't sort of ethically owned or trained or treated. And we didn't really want to work with animals that were for films or movies. Um, and then we found this one guy, Luke, who has a farm um, and he rescues animals in need as many as he can take. So he's got a whole array of, of animals there and um, to some of the cheetahs and things have been rescued from hunting farms where uh, they're bred and um, then people pay money to come over and shoot them um, as trophies. And quite often they're drugged for mm. people to shoot them and it's really awful. And he rescues a lot of the cats um, from those, those conditions and the money um, that we paid to sort of initially work with these animals went into feeding them, keeping them and rescuing more animals. And just over time, we built a relationship with them and particularly with um, these one, one or two cats. Um, and we've worked with them for years now and sort of it's taken on a, a different aspect. They're like family now. <laughs> so, yeah. Incredible. It must be, yeah, it must be quite a, you know, it's not your normal shoot in the studio with a model suddenly no not at all <laughs> the wild not really have a plan they do what they want to do but that's the benefit of of being very comfortable with them and them trusting us now and the relationship that we have with them um we know them so well and and they're happy to just relax with us they're, they're friendlier than my dog <laughs> with me anyway um yeah so it's it's not so difficult now but in the early days particularly it was chaos <laughs> <laughs> just shooting children in general so shooting animals would be like what do you do like where is it where did it go yeah. oh yeah the lions the the first time i worked with the lions there were three and they just kind of all three went in different directions and they're hyper aggressive um and they just spent the whole time trying to kill us Um, and it was really stressful and they're really loud and just every time you turned your back there was a lion behind you stalking you and every time you crouched down they just went for you and it was it was super stressful and anyway the luke was um was sort of yelling at us trying to like no 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 turn around you know stand your ground so we didn't get killed um and eventually they pulled us out of there like after about 20 minutes he was like no they're too aggressive right now like we can't work with them because um, they have good days and bad days like humans. And it was just a day where they were just not happy to be around people. Um, and two of them went back because um, they have sort of like a truck. Um, and two of them went back into the truck to to go up the hill back to their kind of main enclosure. And one of them ran off um, and they couldn't get it back. And we were actually shooting there um, in this. It's kind of like a, a large sort of mountain area. Uh, we were shooting there for a week and so we were shooting the lions and then we were building sets for the rest of the shoots. So all of our team, all of our set builders were there 
and we were there and they had this lion they lost this lion so they just left us there with the lion so for the whole day we were building sets with this lion on the loose that they couldn't get hold of and I remember there's no toilets there's no nothing and um, in that afternoon I'd sort of I'd gone to like pee behind a bush and I just saw this lion like 20 feet away I was like "Uh oh I mean they're fine they're I mean they're they're well fed and very well cared for they're not really wanting to kill you Um, but yeah so um, that was fun that was the first time I met the lions (laughs) that's hilarious and how do you, who comes up with this? Is it you that comes up with all these ideas of like, hey, let's go to Kenya and shoot with cheetahs? Is it a yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, we work a little bit differently to sort of other teams. So um, I put together the creative direction for that season that we're going to go for. So what's inspiring me? Um, what stories we're going to tell and um, what they're going to look like visually. And we do a lot of research into the areas and we put together almost like a magazine which um has yeah storylines with visuals attached to it the location that we would shoot in the props the sets everything um and brands will then um sort of like each one is individual and can't be repeated and we only do it once so a brand will sort of purchase that package if they feel that it either fits the collection that they're doing or some of them actually design collections for them as well so they use it as a basis for their future collections so we have someone who designed a safari collection for one of our cheetah shoots um, yeah, so that's how we work. And I think just it creates better work because what's happening is the team and the photographer are saying, this is what I'm really excited to shoot. This is what's really inspiring me at the moment. And people fit their collections to that. So they get the best of you, you know, whereas I think in the early days when we didn't do this, trends kind of come around and you end up with 300 shoots that are the exact same thing because it's a trend at that time. Or you end up just shooting against a brick wall, and and it's very easy to, you know, to lose that that passion if you're doing something that you're not inspired by every day. So this keeps every day different for us, and every day is the dream shoot for us. It's what we've been planning for six eight months in advance, so we're so excited to shoot it. So we go well overboard, and you know, people get a lot more than they would if you know they're saying, "Can you just go and shoot this white wall or this beach that we shot three hundred times before?" So. Well, that's really. That's really interesting how it's not the brand dictating what's going to happen. It's actually you dictating to the brand what they're going to do. And I think as well, well, they get the benefit of the experience of, of obviously us doing this every day, but a photographer's eye, you know, quite often we know when something's going to photograph really well and when something isn't going to photograph so well. And what we find is that when a client is maybe booking a location for a shoot, you know, the, the collection could be white linen. So realistically, it could be shot in 500 different ways. And they've just got so much product that they have to get content for. They're just kind of going, okay, fine, we'll shoot it here. That's easy. Or they pick a villa that, you know, maybe they personally would want to go on holiday to because it looks really peaceful. But when you think about it through the camera lens, it's not going to photograph so well. So what we're not dictating in a way how the clients um, sort of get a campaign because a lot of our locations and storylines can be interpreted in multiple different ways or, you know, we include ones that are neutral, ones that are colorful, um, ones that have more story, ones that have less. But what they do all have the benefit of is we know that every single one of those locations is going to photograph beautifully. Um, yeah, so I think it's, it's a smart way of working. We tend to get far better results with those shoots than we do when, when people sort of try to book everything for us. Um, like, 
I did a shoot this week, which was in a villa that the client had booked. And it was just not a villa that worked for a fashion shoot on camera. You know, it was a beautiful villa to stay in and it would have worked amazingly for one of your interior shoots. Um, but when you put a person in, none of it made sense. So yeah, I, th- I do think it's easier when it's, it comes from the photographer because you have the benefit of them knowing how it's going to come across in the camera lens. I know, I have these, well, similar situations in that respect that people sometimes say, what about this place to shoot? And what about this place? And I'm like, no. Not going to work. Yeah. You know, they might look good in an Airbnb photo, but yeah, it's terrible. The lighting is terrible. The wall is not good. Yeah. You know, like all There's those. There's an amazing a villa that you've shot that uh, has all of the window, the glass is green. So the entire light in the location yeah. is green. Yeah, I've, I've been booked to shoot there a few times. And I'm like, great, if you want your model to be green. <laughs> yeah, that's a classic example. Beautiful house. Not good for a model. <laughs> how, um, when did you, how did you make that jump between being, I guess, I don't know, were you a freelancer before you started your own company or? Um, I was freelance for quite a long time and then I was agency represented and then I started the company Um, and I think being agency represented was probably one of the reasons I did because um, agents are great, they obviously get you lots of work but what that does mean is they'll take any job coming through and they'll book you on it without telling you Um, and it's quite often stuff that is not your taste or style that you don't want to do and you know obviously they get commission for everything you do so it's just like yes great money but you know, you can, I ended up, I ended up on a maternity shoot, um, some tie dye saris, like, you know, kind of weird things that just, I would never understand. I, I don't understand them. And if I don't understand it, I can't create a story around the character and around the shoot because I don't really understand what's going on. So we only ever say yes to things that, you know, we really are passionate about or we understand the meaning behind a collection or a brand. Um, yeah. So having an agency, as amazing as they were and as grateful to them as I am for sort of launching all of that, it definitely taught me that I wanted to be able to say no. And the only way to do that was to have autonomy. And we, yeah, we do say no, you know, we get, we get clients coming to us as well. So just showing as a reference image of somebody else's work, particularly we get a lot of um, Cameron Hammond's work shown to us and they say, can you go and do this? And we just go, go and ask Cameron, <laughs> you know, it's his work go and speak to him about it. Um, you know, we really only take on work that does suit our style and aesthetic just for obviously personal reasons, but I think it delivers better work and it means that the client's going to be happy if I really understand and I'm passionate about their brand and their clothing and put in 110%. So yeah, it really, it came, it came after having an agency and, and just wanting the, the freedom to, to say no and, and sort of keep your creative vision. Yeah. How how do you think, um, because you're quite very successful in what you do, and like your work obviously speaks for itself. It's incredible and it's beautiful and creative and it definitely has its style. But, you know, there's probably a lot of photographers out there, you know, thinking, oh, my God, Amberly, she's like dream person, like dream, you know, like photographer that I look up to and I think, I want her life. I want to do what she does. Everything is amazing. How did you get here? Obviously a lot of hard work, but what, maybe the better question is, why do you think you have been successful? Um, I think 
yeah, hard work, definitely. Um, sacrificing everything for it, which you'll hear time and time again, but it really is true. You know, I have had no personal life. You just, you know, can live out of a suitcase and you, you really do sacrifice everything from your sanity to your sleep, health, everything. Um, but also just being incredibly passionate about what you do, like really finding your niche that you love um, and sticking to that. And, you know, there are times when I really, really want, had my own style and people didn't like it. It wasn't on, on trend at that time. And they tried to change it. And I think sticking to that and saying, no, I'm not going to just become what everybody else is doing. That's the most important thing. Cause at some point people will start to appreciate your art and your craft. And at that point it has that authenticity to it. Um, yeah. So I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, I also have really great people behind me as well. I'm super lucky in the people that I sort of tend to meet and work with stylists and hair and makeup artists and my manager are all absolutely incredible and just as, as driven and just as passionate. And so we put in hundreds and hundreds of hours behind the scenes on sheets that sort of never really get recorded, but the reason why, why everything kind of looks the way it does. Um, yes, it's a lot down to a team effort too. And I think you're pretty, as well as that, I think personally, I think it helps to be kind and to be honest and to be generous. And those are three things that you are, you are, you know, and I, I think a lot of, there's a lot of artists or photographers that have a big ego and, yeah. you know, and I think it's one thing, yeah. sorry, one thing is to have ego and another thing is to be no this is what I do which I think yeah can be confused and I don't think you don't have the ego you just like this is what I do yeah I'm, I'm very sort of strict with this is how we do it and this is how you get great results and um, we don't compromise on that at all we don't compromise on the quality um, but yeah I mean in terms of it I mean, everybody has a bad day occasionally. You know, sometimes I get stopped in the street and I'm like, just leave me alone. I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> um, but no, I think um, you, you can't. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, what we do is in a luxury industry that is relatively glamorous and we're super lucky um, in everything that we get to do and the people we get to work with, the places we get to stay. But at the end of the day, you know, we, it's, it's a job and we're there to do the best that we can do for people. and we have an immense amount of power in that, you know, if a brand is spending 40 or $50,000 with us for a campaign, um, not only are we sort of entrusted with that, but if we do a bad job, they're not going to get sales on their collection. It, it can destroy their reputation. Um, so we really have quite a responsibility to, to put in sort of 110%. And we do try to sort of really listen and understand our clients and models and get the best out of everybody. And I don't think you can do that by sort of, swanning around like you're somebody you know <laughs> I think the reason we connect so well with people is because we're just normal um you know and we yeah we're, we have to remind yourself to get off your high horse occasionally but yeah you just, we're just normal people and we're just there to do the best that we can do for, for everybody yeah you are you're very very grounded um which is very refreshing I think because it's a lot of people that are not very grounded at all you know blame Instagram for that one <laughs> you are, incredibly, for me like my experience dealing with you um you're incredibly grounded and also incredibly generous with with when you know when we spoke and 
you know, when I told you about my ideas and things, you're like, oh yes, you know, like, which is beautiful because I found it, um, there's a lot of people that are very, you know, closed up and they, I don't know, they're scared, they worry, I don't know what their fears are, but you're just so open and I think so generous with yourself to other people. And I think that's one of the reasons you're also successful is apart from all the hard work, creativity and stuff, I think that's a, a big reason to your success. I mean, I think it only ever, I mean, the more we support each other, the more success everybody in that sort of group gains, it, it supports all of us. You know, it comes, I don't really understand people that sort of want to to keep people away from success or keep people out of the industry. I mean, my, I have a lot of friends who are fashion photographers who shoot very, not similar work because we all have our own style. That's what's really beautiful. But um, we have similar clients and we talk and we support each other and we push jobs each other's way. You know, it only ever really comes back in good ways. Um, you know, if I give jobs to other photographers I know, I know that at some point when they're too busy or they're out of the country, they'll do the same for me. So I think, you know, we're always strength in numbers in the sense of just creatives being successful, operating properly, being good moral people. Um, and it, it just stops bad practices because we really don't want to live in an industry where people expect bad practice or people to be, you know, egotistical or immoral, which sometimes, sometimes this industry can be. So. <laughs> I tell you an anecdote. When I was, um, I used to work in fashion before I worked as this and I used to be in photo shoots because I used to work for this brand that did all these very expensive photo shoots but also we used to work with the stylist so I was kind of doing a bit of styling a bit of you know I wasn't into the photography I was more into the styling and there was I went to this shoot I remember and there was this photographer assistant and he was been assisting this lady for like five years or something and she was horrible <laughs> to this poor guy. And I was thinking, oh my God, I will never be a photographer. <laughs> so I was like, this will be the last job I'll ever do. It's <laughs> the <Do> photography. <laughs> when I interned, um, my assistant, I assisted some pretty horrible photographers. It taught me how not to be. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty common. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. Um, Another question I wanted to ask you is, well, you obviously travel, I don't know how many months of the year, but like, like nine months or 10 months of the year, you're on the road. <laughs> yeah. why, why did you decide to make Bali your home? Um, it was a bit of an accident. Um, so I never actually wanted to come here in the first place. I'd read or seen the movie Eat, Pray, Love. Yes. Just gone, no way, that is not for me. I am not into that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I surf. I was in Sri Lanka and um, it was the first holiday I'd taken in like 10 years and I'd met a bunch of people and we were surfing and then um, the, they had really good swell and then it kind of moved to Bali and the flights were really cheap and they were all going to the airport to go to Bali and I was going to the airport to go back to London to go back to work and um, at the airport I just decided not to get on the plane to London just got on the plane with them to Bali um, didn't know anything about it other than hippies and all good um and ended up sort of surfing here for a little while um taking a bit more time off and then and meeting a lot of people and back then um there were virtually no photographers in bali at all there were a couple of kind of surf photographers that tried to do a bit of fashion but nothing 
no real fashion photography with big productions. And um, a lot of the brands were actually manufacturing in Bali. Obviously, it has a huge manufacturing platform. So the fashion teams were out here pretty much from every luxury brand a couple of times a year, had perfect weather, um, amazing locations, and no teams. And I was like, okay, well, that's interesting. And I kind of got back on the plane to London and I landed and I was um, sharing a studio in North London, an amazing old Jamaican supermarket with Lady Gaga's costume designer. <laughs> and I walked in and there's like glitter everywhere and drag queens and 20 foot silver talking head, Lady Gaga's tour. And I just went, nope. And booked a one-way ticket back to Bali. Um, and my plan was um, to speak to all of my clients and to sort of say, look, for the same price as shooting in London, um, you, your team could literally, you could send your fashion team out to Bali and we could do something so much bigger and better for the same price, including flights, because um, it was so cheap to shoot back then. So I sort of pitched that to them, um, particularly for sort of summer collections. And um, a lot of them trusted me. And they actually, most of them didn't fly to Bali. Most of them um, just sort of said, look, you've been shooting for us for a long time. Just we'll ship the clothes out to you and you, you can do the productions. And we built a production team out here. And um, yeah, it worked. So Bali inexplicably became my, my long-term base, which I wasn't really anticipating. I knew I wanted to get out of London. I knew I wanted to be somewhere with sun and daylight because obviously in London, we, we first shoots, we would get up at four o'clock in the morning. We'd be in the studio by five o'clock in the morning. So it'd be pitch black. And then you're in a pitch black studio because you're lighting sets. Um, and then we would never finish between before 10 or 11 p.m. at night. So I'd come home and it was pitch black. So I literally never saw daylight. And even on days off, I'd be editing, which you do in a pitch black room. <laughs> so I just felt like a little mole. And I was like, I needed, I needed light. Um, <laughs> and I wanted to change that lifestyle. I was like, this is not healthy. As much as I loved London and the city. Um, yeah, I was like, look, I want to, I want to shoot in daylight. I, I want to get out of the studios. I want to stop shooting with, with studio lighting. Like I love set building. I love lighting sets and it's amazing. Um, and I was like, look, there's a, I want to go somewhere where there's natural light and start working with natural light. So, yeah, so I did. And it worked. And Bali is just beautiful. The people are incredible locations. And, and it became my home. And it's been my home for eight years. So, yeah. What keeps you in Bali as your home? Um, it, it really, I, I have family here um, and such a base, such a community. Um, that I just love. I could never imagine really living anywhere else. And even though I do have to travel and I am going to be spending a lot more time in other countries than I am here in the next couple of years, um, I think this will always remain my home. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just great because, yeah, I can get up in the morning, I can go for a surf, my dog can run on the beach and I can still make it to set. And then I can do a shoot and then I can have a drink with friends in the evening or dinner. It's just the lifestyle that we have here is, is so different. So I could never have done that in London. And I love it. It's incredible. And I love the freedom. You know, I love the freedom of riding around on a motorbike. I went to a shoot not so long ago and uh, just you know, threw my cameras in my motorbike seat <laughs> to a shoot. It's just so different to London where we you know, be stuck in Addison Lee cars and traffic with Pelly cases full of gear. And yeah, no, it's, it's, um, I think it's much better for sort of mental health as well. That's right. Yes, I, I agree. I, I think um, the freedom subject comes a lot in these interviews. Um, yeah. It's just, yeah, people, it's a freedom here that doesn't exist 
we haven't seen it. I haven't seen it anywhere else. No. Uh, with the possibilities as well, because you could have the freedom, but there's no work, no possibilities. Um, yeah. But you can have both. Yeah. yeah, it's a really, it's a really special place. That's for sure. And yeah, no, I do love it. I can't imagine anywhere else being home, even if I had to be away from it. <laughs> How is your family today? The one, do you ever go and see them? Your family in Wales? <laughs> really? <laughs> I'm, um, I'm not a big fan. Um, I sort of, sometimes about every five years, I think it's a really good idea to go back and within two days, <laughs> I'm desperate to leave. Um, but they're, they're very good. They come here a lot. Um, so I get to see them tons. Um, my family travel as well um, quite a lot. So they're fine. Um, they come out and look after my dog, Sophie, in the house when I'm shooting abroad, because I normally do two or three months sort of stays abroad for shoots. So they come and look after the house for me and the dog. And then um, I'll sort of catch up with them for a couple of weeks before or a couple of weeks after that as well. So I'd say they come out a couple of times a year at least. And they like it here when they come? Yeah, they do. They love it. Um, they have a real community here because they've been coming um, to look after the house for and they stay for like two or three months at a time. So they've got their whole set of friends and their social life and, you know, they just slot straight back into life here and they ride motorbikes around and yeah, they're like Bali locals. But um, the first time my mum came, she, I remember she wouldn't eat anything other than pineapple and she wouldn't go in a warren. <laughs> she was just convinced she was going to get sick and die if she ate anything in Bali. So she ate pineapple for like three weeks. Um, but no, she, she's good now. They, they, they still don't speak any Indonesian, any Bahasa, but um, yeah, they, they definitely have their life, their friends. Yeah, they go off to dinner with everybody and yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Um, that's awesome. That's awesome. They have this different life of being in Wales. It's rainy, cold, windy weather to this beautiful yeah. sea. I know. I'm so, why don't you just move here? <laughs> life is here. Yeah, they love the cold and the winter. <laughs> and lastly, I wanted to talk to you about your house because your house is so incredible. Every time I post a picture of your house, it's like, People just go crazy. <laughs> the first time I saw it, I was like, I need to go to see her house. Where is this house? <laughs> I don't remember. How long ago was the first time you came here when I met you? It must have been a few years ago now. Yeah, maybe a couple of years. I don't know now. I can't remember. But yeah, I remember seeing the photos on a magazine. It was Tammy that took the Oh, Tammy with another photographer took the photos. And I was like, this is, where is his house? <laughs> I mean, <need> to <laughs> Yeah. there was nothing quite like it on the island back then everyone was still building their sort of white villas oh your house is just incredible and it is you know I just wrote an article about it it is so special because it's so unique and so not just unique but everything has a sentiment to it like everything in your house is being sourced from this place and then of nowhere and you <laughs> like you know i have to like i i i don't have the patience for that <laughs> like, I, want it now. <laughs> I don't did, know how did you do the source like and you went to here and you got this i don't know everything is from like some crazy place in indonesia you know overseas 
and you shipped it here, <laughs> even like your walls. You have to about your walls because I am just like, what? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I was, uh, I've, it's a lot sort of based on my travels in Mexico and North Africa and Morocco. Um, so I really wanted to build um, a building like that. And then you know, back in, in the days of Bali then, there, there was no one building anything like this. Um, I mean, the building teams didn't speak any English. And if you were a woman trying to build a house, they just didn't understand that at all. Um, I remember speaking to my building teams and I was, I was learning Indonesian through having this team building this house. Um, I only spoke basic Indonesian. And so I'd be stumbling through my Indonesian and they'd be staring at the sky while I'm talking to them because they wouldn't even look at me <laughs> because it was just so weird for a white woman. I mean, I was 27, 26, 27 years old to be building a house, particularly a house that made no sense to them. That was like nothing they'd ever seen before with materials they'd never even heard of. Um, so it was an interesting process. That's for sure. Yeah. And the walls, the walls are Tadalact, um, which is, it's it's widely used across Morocco, um, and I I love the sort of quality of it, the texture. It kind of goes from like smooth and silky through to really rough and and just earthy. Um, but it's a high lime based plaster that's made with olive oil and polished with olive oil soap, and it breathes, so it lets um, air and moisture permeate through the walls, which I thought made total sense living in this country, um, because obviously we go from quite dry to very very humid. Um, and it's, it's been great, but, uh, it was, it was an uphill battle to get that done for sure. <laughs> it was a bit crazy. This house, probably if you were building it today, you could build it in three months and it took me a year. <laughs> it is really special. Um, and yeah, it, the, the amount of detail you put in, like, just like the walls, you know, like you just went to that to, you know, you hire someone to come over and do it and. It's I am a perfectionist. <laughs> <laughs> I see, and even you know the tabs, everything is just absolutely stunning. Did you did you enjoy the building process? Because people, I you know, loved and hated it. I loved I loved the creative process because in a way it was like building a set for a photo shoot. Um, so I loved that. I loved designing it, um, but. Each, every single thing in this house had to be done three or four times. There was nothing that they got right because it was just so foreign to them. And dealing with that and dealing, learning to live with the fact that I was going to have to let them do it wrong a couple of times before they would listen to me because they would just, they would not take direction from a woman at all. Um, so I would let them do it and I'd say, no, do it again. Now, now please do it the way I've asked you to do it. And we had sort of plans drawn up and everything. Um, very, very precise kind of detail. They'd be like, okay, go away, do it again, but do it the way we ask you to. And then they'd go and do it wrong again. They do it the way they want. I'd be like, great, you're going to do it right this time. And they'd eventually do it purely because I'd negotiated a contract where if they didn't do what I asked, they had to pay to put it right. So the only reason they ever <laughs> eventually did it was because they got sick of having to pay for more materials. <laughs> so that was, that was a learning curve. And I was, I got, it was kind of one of those where you, you cannot get angry with them. As you know, building a house, you've got to stay completely calm because if you get angry with them, they'll, they'll leave and never come back. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not part of the culture here. You know, if something goes wrong, you're meant to laugh about it. So I'd sort of like go out of the house, down the road, scream at the rice fields and then come back with a smile and say, do it again. 
<laughs> so that, that was a learning curve and I did not enjoy that part, but I loved the actual creative part of building and I loved sourcing all of the, the bits, even down to the tiniest details, which I know we were just, we were talking about, you're hating having to find your taps and new things. So I loved all of that. I loved oh, the details. I, I love, <laughs> but you know, here I, I don't have, you know, I was going to Morocco and finding taps would be a one thing, but here I'm going to Depo Badunan. There's no <laughs> Oh God, Depo Banganan, yeah. There's not that many I choices. I think I lived in that place for a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah, the choices there are not good. <laughs> not good. And there's not like, there's a couple better places, but you know, there are, some of them are so expensive that you're like, I can't do it. Can't do it. No, no. Yeah, but I know. I know what you mean. Much more interesting to have a tap from Morocco or Kashmir. Yeah. Or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was. I was pretty lucky. Um. So when I designed the house, um, I had a boyfriend who stayed in Bali with the builders while they were doing this sort of just structural foundation bits, and I went off to Morocco, um, to do some shoots, and then did a buying trip in Morocco and sent a container load back so I already had the design plan so I was able to kind of adjust things around them so yeah that was great like going through the souks and, and buying everything and it was a little stressful as well because Morocco is also not a country where they're used to you know like 26 year old girls trying to buy sinks and light fittings and taps but um yeah it was definitely it was fun I loved it that would be amazing um okay Emily I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today it was lovely <laughs> talking to you to you always and, and and sharing so much about your life and your creative um your creative life really you have such a such a creative full life it's beautiful beautiful to hear thank you you enjoyed this episode if you want to hear more subscribe to our Ballinteers stories podcast and go to our show notes at ballinteers.com forward slash podcast for more inspiration don't forget to follow us on instagram at ballinteers <laughs>